how's everybody doing? Good to see you all. Um, it's always a highlight of my week to be able to spend time with you uh, together. It's, it's uh, unfortunate sometimes that like, we can't have a dialogue back and forth. Like This is a, you know, a, a lecture style kind of a deal where you just have to sit and listen, and that's just unfortunate that you have to do that, but thanks that you keep coming back and doing that. Um, but this is a time where we get to look at God's Word and we get to grow together. Uh, a thought that I had this morning um, or throughout this week was that change will never happen because of apathy. Set on that for a second. Change in us, around us, in our world, in our personal life, change will never happen just simply through apathy, right? Uh, change happens when what's going on in us or around us, when it gets to like this fever pitch or gets to this point where it's so unbearable that it can no longer stay the same. That's when change begins to happen. And in that moment, we have the opportunity to, to, to step up and hit a reset button. I'm going to uh, give you an example. When I was growing up, uh, I, I used to play the old school Nintendo game. Anybody play old school Nintendo, right? You, you, like uh, 1980s something is when that, that, that Joker came out. And I, I, can, I can still remember the smell of the plastic uh, cartridges when you had to you know, blow around on them to try to get them to work, you know, and slam them into the deal. But I, I would play uh, old school Nintendo. And uh, trying, trying to win for me was never easy. Like, I was never good at Nintendo. I was never good at PlayStation or anything else like that. So I never became a gamer. But I started off with, with this uh, Nintendo. And, and uh, I would play these games like Double Dribble. Y'all remember Double Dribble? That was my favorite. My sister hated playing it with me because that's the only game that I could ever win. But I played these games and most of the time I would lose. And they have this little button on the front of the Nintendo system that when you are losing, you can reach up and you can push reset and you go back to the beginning. Now, I, I, I use that reset button a lot of times because when things were not going well, when the game was going, I would reach up and I would push it. It's, you don't use that button when things are going well. You use reset when things are starting to fall apart, uh, whether it's in the game or whether it's in life. You use reset when things aren't going the way that you would like for them to go. It's when things are looking glim and everything seems to be crushing in on you and falling down around you. That's when it's really nice to be able to reach up and hit the reset button. Now, a real-life example and probably a more relevant example for us is what we see going on in the world around us. Right? There seems to be divide. The world seems to be divided. Absolute and moral authority seems to be uh, questioned uh, everywhere that you look. Doubt seems to be pervasive, and we look around us, and what we see going on around us, if we're honest, we say, man, something's not right. Something needs to, to be done. But until what's going on in us and what's going on around us, until we stop pointing fingers at everybody else, until it reaches the point where it's so unbearable or so, gets to the point where something is so unsettling that it has to change, nothing is actually going to change. Change only happens when apathy has reached its pivot point. When apathy gets to the point where something is so unbearable in us and unsettling in us that it has to change. And the truth is it doesn't have to change with somebody else. The truth is that it has to change and it has to start with us. This morning we're starting a new series uh, called Reset, A Whole New Way of Thinking. We're going to be looking at, uh, over the next four weeks, our core family values that help us stay focused on what we believe matters most to us. Um, we have a mission here at Riverview, and that mission is 
to help people find Jesus. But not just find Jesus, but to experience true life in him as well. That's our mission. And so our values that we have, our four core values, help us come alongside of that mission and to make sure that we stay focused on that mission. And so over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to reach up and we're going to hit the reset. And we're going to focus on the things that drive us away from apathy and into the presence and surrender of a life with, with Jesus. We're going to try as best as we can to push against apathy and to move into a surrendered life with Jesus. And our four core values, we're just going to put them up here. God's truth over our opinion, God's grace over our striving, God's family over our isolation, God's mission over our comfort. And so for the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to pack each one of those. And so right now, what we're going to do is we're going to start focusing on the first one, God's truth over our opinion. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to open them up to Ezra chapter 7. Probably, probably haven't seen Ezra in a while, okay? So if you haven't seen Ezra in a while or you haven't been there, uh, you open up your Bibles about halfway through, and then once you get halfway through, split that first half in half, and you're going to land somewhere close. First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and then you'll land in Ezra, okay? And as you find it, we're, I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you for... Uh, this morning together. Thanks that when we gather together, you meet with us. <clears throat> thanks for my brothers and sisters in the room, and thanks for those who are um, searching uh, for you as well. Uh, thankful for the work that you're going to do in our lives and our hearts this morning. I pray that you would use me to speak your truth, um, truth as, as I understand it, and truth as you want to reveal it uh, to our body this morning. And so, um, use this time for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezra, he's, uh, he's writing in a, a time of transition for, for Israel. Right now, God is fulfilling a promise for Israel. They've been in exile for the past 70 years, and now they are moving back into the land that God had promised that he was going uh, to give to them, right? And so they're moving back in, out of exile, into the land. The temple, as they know it, it's been destroyed um, the people who were living in the land, they are in disarray, and they were exiled because they refused to live as people who would put God's opinion and God's truth over their own opinion. Now, here's the truth, okay? For decades and decades, they lived like life and obedience to Jesus or to, to God. It didn't really matter. Like, like, they didn't have to obey him, that God doesn't really care about what we do. Like, we belong to him right? He's chosen us. We're his people. So we can go out and we can do whatever we want. We can live however we want. We can say what we want to say. We can do what we want to do. Our life, our character, the way, the, the things that we put our hands to, the way our actions are, our thought life, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't even matter what God thinks as long as I'm okay with it. We can do whatever we want now. And God kept saying, well, no, that's not the deal. I do care about you. I do love you. And I do care about how you live. And not only do I care about how you live, I care about my own reputation that's out here getting drugged through the culture. And so God was standing against what was going on in Israel, and he was saying, listen, let me lead you. Put me over your entire life. Order your entire life around me. But Israel, they just wouldn't do it. I mean, they just, they just wouldn't. For years and years, they kept living in the state of indifference, in the state of, of apathy, apathy, just doing what they want, following the whims of the culture. And they just kind of, in those years, just shrug God off. And eventually what God does is he leads them out into captivity. 
puts them in the hands of the Babylonians for 70 years. And for 70 years, instead of having God over them, they have Babylon over them. But for Ezra and for the land of Israel, that time is over. That discipline is over. And Ezra, he's writing about this spectacular moment where they come out of captivity and where they are, are now going in to Israel, going back into the land that was promised to them. And if there was ever a moment that would mark, this is the time that we hit the reset button. This is the time that we shake apathy and indifference and the time where things change. This is the opportunity. They have the best opportunity to hit reset right now. They live the past 70 years in captivity. And so the question now is, how are you going to choose to live the next 70? What are you going to do with the next 70 years of, of your life, Israel? Are you going to continue to live by your own opinions, or is something going to change? Are you going to choose to live under the authority of, of God? You, you guys uh, ever watch <clears throat> the, like those shows that kind of like are, where are they now kind of a deal, or read the blogs, or see them come across your Facebook, and you just click it, because you just can't help it, because you watched them in the 60s, and the 70s, and the 80s, they're Hollywood actors, or, or musicians, and you're like, oh, that takes me back, and then they's like, oh, well, let's see where they are now, and unfortunately, where they are now is usually not where they were, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, they've kind of fallen off, and there's been this level of kind of degradation that happens. And you're like, oh, please don't let it happen to them. But you start clicking. You're like, oh, no, what's happening? You're doing the same thing now that you were doing. You're like, no. But isn't that the same question, though, that we've got to wrestle with? You know, what are we going to do with the next five years of our lives? What's the next 10 years of our lives going to look like? Where are we going to be now when now is 10 years later from now? Are we going to still be doing the same old things that we've always done? Are we going to be stuck in apathy and indifference to what God is calling us to? Is there going to be some kind of change that takes place 5, 10, 15 years from now? Knowing what we know now, is there going to be anything that's different? When you look at the book of Ezra, you can break it down in two different sections. The first six chapters are all about going back and rebuilding the temple. This was the place where they got to focus uh, worship. This is the place where the presence of God was dwelling. That's what we talked about last week. Um, before the temple uh, curtain was torn. Uh, and then the second half of Ezra is the, those chapters 7 through 10. And it's in those chapters where Ezra begins to focus on the Word of God, on God's Word, on God's law, and realigning a whole culture around God's law, a whole culture around God's Word. All of their lives, their character, their spiritual lives, the things they put their hands to, their marriage, everything under the authority of God's word, bringing them into alignment with God's heart for them. And alignment's important, right? Alignment's extremely important because if you get the alignment off, everything else is off. So when you build your house, the first few blocks of your house and getting everything squared up, that matters. It's important because if those first few blocks aren't square and you're building everything off of that, nothing else in the house is going to line up the way you're going to struggle to make everything fit from there on. Everything's going to struggle to fit together. Or if you're into airplane travel, there's a one in 60 rule. Anybody, anybody do like nautical, like any airline travel and you know the one in 60 rule? Like, you know, you've been flying around for a little bit. The one in 60 rule is, it means that for every one degree that a plane veers off its course, it misses the target destination by one mile for every 60 miles traveled. That means that the longer you travel off course, the further from the destination, uh, your, your, your targeted destination is going to be. That may not sound like that, that big of a deal, like, oh, it's just one degree off, right? But, but it's actually quite a, a big deal because if you're uh, on a flight from New York going to L.A., 
Just one degree off would be the difference of landing you on the airstrip or landing you miles out into the ocean, okay? That's a big difference. It would be the difference from getting you to your destination or using your seat bottom as a flotation device, right? That, that's what one degree off can do. It matters. Alignment matters. And so their alignment of their lives is extremely important for where we land on important issues. So the longer we travel off course, the further we get from where we really want to go or where God really wants to take us. And so the question is, what are we willing to accept? What is our tolerance level for being off course? What's our tolerance level for being out of alignment? How much are we willing to give? Because at some point, something's got to give. At some point, something is going to break. And it's not until we feel that tension that apathy breaks. It's not until we feel that tension that we reach up and we actually hit the reset button. And so for Ezra, Israel has reached that point. They've reached the point where they're ready to reset. And so Ezra is the priest, and he's leading the charge to reset the hearts and the minds and the character and the alignment of, of all of Israel here. So I'm going to look at chapter 7 of Ezra and focus in on verse 10. This is the reset button. <clears throat> but Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. I'm going to read it again. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's it. He's got one verse for this morning, okay? We're going to spend the rest of our time kind of breaking this one verse down, okay? I'm going to focus in on Ezra here. Ezra says, or it says, for Ezra had set his heart. The word set here is the, the Hebrew word heken. In Hebrew, the word means to be determined. It means to be firmly resolved. It means to be intent on. There's a, a strong determination that's wrapped up in this word that seems to be the exact, exact opposite of what apathy does to us. Apathy doesn't do anything, okay? Apathy sits on its hands. Apathy waits for somebody else to do something. Apathy is, is, is stagnant and, and, and waits for others to do the work. A apathy simply goes through the motion. Setting your heart that's active. Setting your heart, that's engaged. Setting your heart is involved. Set, setting your heart, it, it, it's, it's prepping to make a reset in what's going on in you and uh, around you. And so right here, Ezra has set his heart. He is determined not to repeat the last 70 years. He's so determined that things are going to be different than the first 70 years. But he doesn't just start pointing out all the problems in everybody else. He actually turns around and says, what's going on inside of me? How do I make these next 70 years a little bit different? Okay? And so he personally sets his focus on three things. For me, if the next 70 years are going to be any different, I'm going to bury myself in God's word. I'm going to study it. I'm going to, I'm going to obey the practices of God's word. I'm going to obey and I'm going to practice it. I'm going to teach God's word. Everybody else, they can do whatever they want. They can be stuck in indifference. They can be stuck in apathy. But I'm going to live differently. I'm going to be focused on these three areas. I'm going to study it. I'm going to practice it. And I'm going to teach it. Ezra has set his heart. He was determined for things not to stay the same. 
to hit a reset, not only in his, whole, his own heart, but knowing that if he doesn't set a reset, he, there's no hope for anybody else. Like, like, uh, like I, I can't worry about what somebody else is doing. I have to start with me. And the, and the whole, whole idea is that this is going to shape a whole culture, to shape a whole culture under the alignment and authority of, of God's truth. And that same thing is true for us as well, for us to set our hearts on God's truth, to put his truth over our opinions. Let's be honest, right? That's hard. It's hard to put somebody else's truth over our own opinion because every one of us have our own opinion. We have an opinion on just about uh, anything and everything. And, and, and when we form our opinion or have our opinion, we find people and we find books and we find podcasts and we find news channels. We find everything that we can to help validate our opinion or help de- validate our views on something because we don't really like to be challenged on our opinions. We don't really like to be challenged on our views on things. I don't listen to certain radio stations in my car because I don't want to be challenged, right? When, when I listen to certain radio stations in my car, I find myself yelling at the radio, right? And when I'm yelling at the radio, people are driving down the radio or driving down the highway beside me like, what's going on with that crazy dude in the car? Like, is he yelling at his kids? Is he having a mental breakdown? And sometimes if I'm listening to something that is challenging my view, that, that's what's happening. Like, I, there's this angst and intention that raises up in me, and I think I'm going crazy, and everybody else thinks I'm going crazy. Because... I like my own natural opinion being affirmed. I like to listen to other people saying, hey, you, 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 you think rightly or you're believing rightly. I don't like to be challenged because it's easier that way. I don't really have to think. If I just parrot back what somebody else is saying and if I just look for people to agree with me, I don't really have to think much. But when our opinion is anchored to talking heads and it's not anchored and set on God's truth, on God's truth alone, it's so easy for us to drift off into the culture. It's so easy for us to drift off. And then those opinions may just land us in an ocean miles off, causing us to use our seats as a flotation device. If we don't, as Ezra says here, set our heart on the biblical and moral authority of God's word, it's so easy for us to drift off course with a culture that's so fast in changing, not just changing in music and clothing styles and, and hairstyles, but it, it's changing in things that really matter, changing in the views on God, changing in our morality, changing in our ethics, changing in the way that we view life and death, changing in the way that we view sexuality, changing in the way that we view personhood, all the hot topics in the culture that is so vastly changing. If we are not anchored to God's word and God's truth, then we'll be carried off and land in a, in a, somewhere out in the middle of the ocean and, and, and just using our seats as flotation device. Like we will be carried off by the culture. And so for Ezra, he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Look, let's break this down. He determines to set his heart to study the truth of God. When you think about studying the Bible, what do you think about? <clears throat> let's be honest. How about, how about this? Let's open this up to dialogue real quick. Might make the morning a little bit longer, but let's do that. When you think about reading the Bible or studying the Bible, what do you think about? Be honest. Don't give me the answer that you think I want to hear, okay? When you think about reading the Bible, be be honest with me. It's hard. Keep going. It's overwhelming. Keep going. What's that? Don't know where to start. Thank you. When, when you think about reading, don't wait for somebody else to answer. That's apathy, okay? That's indifference. 
One of your favorite things to do. Conviction. When you think about reading the Bible, talk with me. What was that back there? Life-giving. Time-consuming. A chore. Confusing. Okay? Throughout my life, um, studying the Bible has looked all kinds of different ways. I, I wish Ezra would have told us how to study. How, when he said, I'm going to set my heart on studying the Bible, I wish he said, this is how I did it. And this is how we do it. I wish Jesus would have said, this is how we study the Bible. He gave us what outcomes of it looked like, but he never said, this is exactly how you do it. And, and, and if you're like me, I want exactly, this is how you do it. And so for me, trying to walk and learn how to live as a Christian, I've looked at a thousand different ways. I, I, I'm a monkey see, monkey do kind of a person, and so I look to see what somebody else is doing in order to grow. And so throughout my life, I, I've just copied what other people do. And, and so my, my time of study has looked different in different seasons at different times in my life. And so I, I've, I've tried to read the Bible all the way through and like kind of like uh, start in the beginning and go to the end. I've tried to read it chronologically. I've tried to read just Old Testament. I've tried to read just New Testament. I've tried to read it outside because, you know, you connect in nature. I've tried to read it indoors because I get distracted by nature. I, I've, I've tried to pray before, during, and after uh, when I'm reading. I've tried just about everything that you can do when it comes to reading God's Word. I've tried to read it for an hour, try to set time limits on it, Right? I have tried to read it for, for 10 minutes. I've tried so many different things. And I hope you see what, what I'm, I'm doing here. There is no one right way to study God's word. You are uniquely wired. God has wired you differently than he's wired somebody else. He has you in a different season of life than he has you than, than somebody else. And so reading your Bible as a young 20-year-old is going to look different then when you're a, a 40, 50, 60-year-old, when you're a single mom sitting at home trying to raise your kids, your time with the Lord is going to look different than when you are a, 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 couple, uh, a couple who's just been married and you've got no kids sitting at home. When, you're an, when you are an empty nester and you've got no kids running around anymore, that time with the Lord is going to look different. Our time in studying God's Word looks different from season to season, and it looks different depending on how God has wired you. But the one thing that never changes in the study of God's Word is that God's Word is always involved. God's Word is always involved in studying His Word. That's the one thing you can't take out of the equation. But studying God's Word is about spending time with Him. It's about saying, here I am, Lord. I'm turning to you to lead my heart and my desires. I'm coming to your word because I want to know you and I want to know your truths. I want you to align my opinions along with your truth, not just confirm what I already believe or what I've heard, but I want you to give me your ideas and your desires. I want you to shape and anchor my life. I want to set my heart and my course according to your word. What I've found works best for me don't steal this unless you really think this will work for you, okay? Don't play monkey see, monkey do. What I found works best for me is uh, at nighttime, I take my Bible and, and I take uh, my notebook. This, this notebook that I, that I preach out of is my journal and my notes. Um, and so I take that and I set it on this little yellow chair in the corner of our room. And there's a little lantern there in the corner uh, that, I, that I turn on in the morning. I, I set this stuff up at night because I, I am fickle as fickle as can be, okay? If I don't set it up at night, there is zero chance that I'm waking up early and doing it in the morning. Zero chance, right? So I get it ready at nighttime before I go to bed. And, and then I used, I used to uh, go downstairs and, and read, but, you, but you, if you've got kids, you know that as soon as your kids wake up, like you're, you're done. Like your time, like it's over. 
Like, you, you just try to start again tomorrow because it's done for the rest of the day. And so I try to get up early before everybody else wakes up. Most of the time it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and, and so I, I sit in this little yellow chair, I turn on the lantern, I got the lantern because I don't want to turn on the lights for everybody to wake up, and, and, I, and I sit in that moment, I say, Jesus, show up. Like, let, let, let's do something here. Meet with me in this place. And I've got a reading plan um, that, that I go through, um, but here's the truth. Um, I've used a reading plan for, for most of my life, and so many times that reading plan has just become let me check off the block and let me get through as many pages and spend as much time as I can here as opposed to actually connecting with Jesus. And so I still use the same reading plan, but now it's not just about getting through the pages. There are sometimes I get through the pages and there are sometimes I don't, but I wait and say, Holy Spirit, show me what you want for me today. Show me what you want to teach me in this moment right now. And, and so in that moment, like, I, I, I wait until he, he reveals something as, as we're reading, just something kind of pops off the page. This week, I was reading Psalm 16. It was a part of the reading plan. And as I'm reading it, uh, verse 11 stood out to me. And so I stopped on verse 11. Still had so much more to read. But I stopped on verse 11, and I just pondered this. Here, here's what it says. You reveal the path of life to me, and your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. And I sat there, and, and, I, and I rested on these words. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. And, and I just thought about how good it was to be in God's presence. Because if I'm being honest, I've missed a couple days that week because I stayed up too late binging on Netflix, all right, watching The Stinking Crown. <sighs> the things need to hurry up and get over with, all right? But I stayed up a little too late, and I slept through when I should have got up. And so in this moment, verse 11 just jumped off the page to me because in that moment, the Lord was like, it is so good to be in your presence. So good for you to be in my presence because this is where you're going to find joy. This is where you're going to find eternal pleasure. This is where, where like, you can settle for things later that are going to be success, but right now, this is where you're going to really find joy. And this just jumped off the page to me. And so as I read that, that set my heart and anchored me for whatever anything else was coming for the rest of the day. Studying God's word can't be done without his word. Studying God's word can't be done without his word. If we want to see change in our lives, if we want to see change around us, we have to pick up God's word. We can no longer live in apathy. We can no longer just let the word sit on the shelf and do nothing because on the shelf, the Bible, listen to me, this is going to sound very provocative, but it's not. On the shelf, the Bible is powerless. But it's when you take it off the shelf and you start putting it into your hands and start getting it in your heart, that's when the Bible, the Word of God becomes powerful and active and breathing. It's a living document. It becomes sharper than any double-edged sword and it's able to pierce between the joint and the marrow. And it's able to help you to discern truth and it's able to help you discern the lies and make heads and tails out of what's going on around you. And when everything in your life feels like it's chaos, the Word of God is able to settle your soul when everything else is going crazy around you. But here's the truth. Statistics and people who do statistics, studies, they keep showing that uh, Christians are increasingly no longer reading our Bibles. I don't know about you, but I refuse to be a statistic, right? I don't fit in that camp. I don't want to be a stat. So, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep picking up my Bible. I'm going to keep allowing it to bring power into my life and to bring change in my life. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said, take this word 
Teach it to your kids. Repeat these words. Talk about these words. When you sit down, talk about them. When you get up, talk about them. When you lay down, talk about them. When you're going to the market, talk about them. Talk about these words. Teach it. Tie them on your wrist. Tie them on your round your head on a headband. Keep these words in the forefront of your attention, and not only for you, but also for those around you. This is how important it was. God said to Joshua, he said, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do everything that is written inside of it. Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching and rebuking, correcting, so that we might be able to be trained up in all righteousness, so that we may not be swayed by the culture, so that we might know how to grow and to be corrected when we need to be corrected. And that isn't bringing our own opinion to the scripture and saying, hey, affirm me. It's coming to the scripture and say, God, I am willing to be changed by you. A reset starts with God's truth over our opinion. And that starts with time with God. And so what does that mean for us? That means some of us need to reach down into our pocket and, and turn off our phone every once in a while. I mean, some of us may even need to pick up a paper copy of the Bible again so that we're not distracted while we're reading. You know, studies show that just how distracted we are nonstop. And it comes by our phone or our watch or whatever else. There's so many distractions. And so I, I just tend to go back to a paper copy to read because I'm already so easily distracted. I don't need something else to distract me. So maybe, it, maybe it's get up a little bit earlier. Maybe it's stay up a little bit later. Maybe it's finding times in the middle of your day. Maybe it is uh, standing up and walking and reading the word out loud. I remember there was a season in my life I was very kinetic. I just walked with God's word. I, I, I sat, everything that I read, and God's word specifically too. I just walked down hallways and hold God's word and read it because one, I wouldn't fall asleep. If I fell asleep while I was walking, it was a pretty bad day, okay? And, and also, it helped engage my mind. And so there was a season of life where I was very kinetic. And so maybe uh, you need to just pick up the word and start walking around with it. Maybe you need to start reading it out loud. Maybe you write it down. The kings of old, they would write down the law of the God so it would be, it'd be stuck in their minds. You've got to find a way to get into God's word. The point is that you find the way that works for you and what works best for you, <clears throat> and you get in God's presence through his word. Next thing that Ezra says is, that he set his heart to study God's word, and then he went a step further to obey it and practice the word. I had this thought uh, when I was uh, driving, because we always get like funky when we, when we see this word obey. <laughs> um, but Ezra was saying, I, I practice God's word, but we, we see this uh, word obey, and I was driving around, and as I was driving, I just had this thought that and we don't have to fall into this false dichotomy that we often paint, that, that you're either under God's grace or you're under obedience, Right? Because God's grace leads us to his, his obedience. The same, the same grace that, uh, that saves us through his son Jesus when we put faith in, in him, it's not by any work that we do, it's all work that Jesus did, but it's that same grace that brought us into salvation is the same grace that sustains us enough to allow us to obey his word. And so we don't have to get into this, I'm, I'm either a grace person and I don't obey, or, or I'm either an obedience person and I forget all about grace. No, you need grace to obey right? The two aren't juxtaposed to one another. They go well together. And if obedience to God's truth and ordering our lives around him is nowhere even close to being on our radar, we don't fully understand his grace or we definitely don't understand his love because Jesus himself says in John 14, he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest, and, and manifest myself to him. I've got a lot more to say on that, but I, 
I still have a lot more to say, and um, I know we're getting close. So I'm just going to move to the third part of this verse. He said in his heart to study God's truth, to personally obey it, and to allow his character to be formed and his opinions to be formed and his philosophy of, philosophy of life to be formed and to teach it to others, to pass it along. So what does that mean? What does it mean to teach God's word? Because some of us, like, this is our understanding of teaching, right? Somebody stands in front of you. This is a rare, a rare context of teaching. This is, this is not what teaching the word of God always looks like. It can be what it looks like. But I think it's more of talking about what's hot on your heart, what the Lord is teaching you and sharing that with other people. We've got to the point in our lives where we're afraid like, to, to, to talk about real things, that we're comfortable staying on the surface, and then we're somehow weird. It's weird to talk about real things, and so because it's weird, we just don't do that. And so we just kind of uh, shy away from that. Um, let me give you an example of what it looks like to just, just simply share what's hot on your heart. Uh, a few weeks ago, probably, probably actually probably about a couple months ago, um, I woke up, spent some, sat in my yellow chair, turned on the lantern, uh, spent some time with, with Jesus, and he just was reaffirming to me, just, again, how good it was to be in his presence, but, but how, but how um, if, if I miss this time, that I am so easily willing to accept uh, false success as true success later in my day. That if I miss what is truly successful, I'll settle for what pretends to be success later. And so he was just reminding me of this, and I, and I felt really good about that. And so a little bit later that morning, I went to the gym. And I saw a guy in the gym that, I'd, uh, that I hadn't seen in a while, and he was surprised to see me in the gym that early. And to be honest, I was too. And, and so, like, we're, we're sitting, we're, or, or we're sitting, like, this, I mean, this is a two-minute tops interaction, okay? He said, hey, man, what's going on? I said, oh, I'm just trying to get back into the gym, trying to get here early, because I was just studying, I was just studying this morning, and the Lord just kind of like, hey, if, uh, if you settle for false success, if you give up on real success now, you'll settle for false success later. I'm talking, like, a two-minute conversation maximum. A little bit later that day, I get a, a text from him. It's like, hey, man, I was thinking about what you were saying. And then he just starts going through this, uh, what God was teaching him, just simply by just having this brief interaction and what God was working into his heart. Cracking the surface and going below and teaching God's word is not just standing in front of people. It's about sharing what's hot on your heart. If there's something hot on your heart, but you can't have anything hot on your heart if you're not getting into God's word. If you're not spending any time in the presence of the Lord. So Ezra says, I'm going to submerse myself into God's word. I'm going to study it. I'm going to, um, uh, what's the next one? I'm, go I'm going to study it. I I'm going to I'm obey it. There you go. I'm going to practice it. And, 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 and I'm going to teach it. I'm going to share it with others. And a thought that I had this week is like, man, what would it look like for us if we just simply shared what God was doing in our lives? If we, if, if we set time with the Lord and just said, you know what? I'm going to get serious. I'm going to, I'm going to bury myself in study. I'm going to bury myself in your word. I'm going, to, I'm going to break the sense of apathy. I'm not five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years now. It's, I'm not going to look the same. It's going to be different in my life. From, I'm not going to be that, that, char that, that, that character of myself that hasn't changed in the last 20 years. If we just said, no, I'm going to open God's word. And, and then as I open God's word, I'm going to come at it. I'm going to say, I want you to teach me. I want to have a heart that's set on you. I, I don't want to bring my opinions to the table. I want to be moldable. I want you to change. There's such a sense of humility when we come to the word of God and say, I'm willing to be changed. I am willing for you to do something in me that I didn't even see needed to be done. I'm willing for you to change my opinion on something that I believe. I'm willing for you to give me a different cultural lens that isn't shaped by my culture, but it is shaped by you and how I see 
the culture around me. I'm willing to be taught. And then, if you just said, and whatever you show me in your word and whatever you put conviction in me, whatever you're teaching me, I'm just going to share it with somebody else. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about what's hot on my heart. Can you imagine how your life shifts around a little bit? Maybe it's changing the, the background hum of your life and how things are no longer the same. Maybe it's things that get given up and maybe it's things that get started. But that starts with time with the Lord. If not, we find ourselves one degree, 60 miles off, landing in the middle of the ocean somewhere, not knowing, not knowing how we got to where we are. Change will only happen when you're unsettled enough to reach up and push the reset button. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Jesus, thank you for time together. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in the room. Thank you for your word that's convicting to us. Thank you for your word that teaches us. Thank you for the opportunity um, just to share, I think, what's hot on my heart this morning. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we have a vision here, and it's to help people find Jesus and experience true life, and that you've given us values to help us stay focused on that. And so whatever you want to teach us over the next four weeks, whatever you want to convict us of, whatever you want to change in us, Lord, draw us there. Lord, uh, um, we want to be willing to reach up and hit the reset button if things need to be reset. And so focus us on the things that are important. Focus on the truths that we need to understand. And let us just shake this apathy and indifference and just live as people under your truth over our opinion. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.